Hi, you're listening to Taming the Terminal Part 1 of N, Command Shells. This series of discussions is based on a collection of tutorials I wrote over at bartb.ie forward slash ttt. This originally aired as part of Cast episode 414, hosted at podfeet.com. I'm Bart Bouchotts, and the other voice you're about to hear is Alison Sheridan, host of the Cast podcast. Something I very much think people could, you know benefit from and make their computing lives easier is if they were to become comfortable with the terminal app oh. and with utilizing the power that's in there for their own benefit. So I'd like to start what will hopefully be a regular thing, which I've decided to name Taming the Terminal, because I just love alliteration. Chick chat across <laughs> the pond and so um, and the idea is to break it into very small pieces so that we don't scare people away. But if you stick all those small pieces together, over a couple of months, they should add up into something that's actually useful. Okay. And nice and propeller beanie. So today, I just want to lay a foundation. We're not even going to open the terminal app today. We're just going to talk about the big picture of the, well, why would we even care? Because right. unless problem people are, are we trying to solve? <laughs> exactly. So unless people actually see why, I don't think anyone's going to put in the effort to learn anything. Right, why right. Um, so... We're, we're going to be aiming this at OS X, uh, because most of our listeners are OS X, are, are Mac users. But at least 90% of what we'll talk about is equally as applicable to Linux or any other Unix, to be honest. Okay. But there are some cool things that the Mac does that other ones don't. And I'm not going to pretend they don't exist just because everyone doesn't have a Mac. They're bloody cool, and I'm going to talk about them. Um, <laughs> so there will be the occasional moment when other Unix, Linux people get to sort of be jealous of us uh, and don't get to play along. I mean, OS X is, one of, is the only OS I've yet come across that has such tight ties between the GUI and the underlying Unixy stuff. Like, there's drag-and-drop support to Terminal on that app. I love that, yeah. It, it makes life so much easier, and I have not come across that on any other OS. So the example of what he's, what he's talking about there is that uh, typing in the path to a folder in, in, a, in the terminal can be pretty tedious. Like if you have spaces in your folder names, that kind of thing, it's really annoying the characters you have to type. So mm-hmm. you can just find the folder in the finder and just drag the little, what do they call it, at the top of a window? The, oh, well, you, the, the proxy icon or proxy icon. if folders in the in the main list, you can drag the folder from the main finder list or a file or whatever. And it also and, works the other and, way. And, and it types in, let me finish the sentence, and it yeah. types in that path for you so you don't have to do it yourself. Yeah, so I so have that the kind file of right here. Why type this horrible thing when I can just drag and drop it and then the terminal will you know, magic type it all in for you? <laughs> I used that yesterday. <laughs> Love it. It also goes the other way. So anytime you're in the terminal, whatever folder you're in is shown as the proxy icon on the top of the terminal window. Ooh. So you can use that proxy icon to go the other way and to get access to whatever folder the, your finder is currently in, for one, or your, your, your terminal app is currently in. And then there's also the fact that Automator has ties into the underlying shell. So if you can write some terminal commands, you can stick them... You know, if you have some terminal commands that achieve your function, you can just drop those commands into an automator action, which you can tie into a service. So you can right-click a file and call some terminal commands on it entirely by the GUI. So if you have the terminal commands to create an encrypted zip, you can, with a few clicks in automator, turn those terminal commands into an action that whenever you right-click on a file, there'll be an option there saying encrypt. You click it, the terminal commands will execute using that file as their input. Oh, I need to do that. 
I, I want that. I put it down for a reason. <laughs> so, so I was bragging to Bart just yesterday that I uh, I used a trick. I uh, created a text expander snippet for my zip space dash e space blah 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 that I do to encrypt my uh, my folders. And uh, it looks like he's got a step further that's going to be even more fun. Yeah. So I have yet to come across any other OS where it's so easy to create your own options in the GUI, which OS 10 services really makes it easy. And then to be able to to take the power of the terminal that's normally hidden away in that little white window no one touches and bring it right into the GUI where you're used to working all the time. And that is what, to me, makes OS X like the absolute nerd OS. Absolute best of both worlds. World-class GUI, probably the best computer GUI out there in terms of usability, in my opinion, and raw power. And a full Unix under the hood. And an integration of the two, so you can easily mash them together and make them work in collaboration to help you get things done. Now, I'm not trying to bash Windows here, but is there no equivalent for the for the Windows people to play here? I think you can get third-party tools that might get you some of the way towards stuff like services, but Windows is lacking something like Apple Script. It's lacking... Now, thankfully, actually, this is one of the bizarre things, right? So a lot of people think of the terminal as like this sort of strange, almost like your appendix, a leftover from an earlier time. Mm -hmm. And yet Windows have in recent years put a great effort into replacing DOS with something called PowerShell, Mm. which is a new command line interface for Windows that actually uses .NET as its backend, which is Microsoft's new technology. Mm -hmm. So even Microsoft understand the power of a text-based interface okay so that's kind of an interesting sort of this isn't a blast from the past this is still relevant today even in windows 8 where they've taken the start menu out and thrown it in the bin powershell is still in there okay cool so in the in the early days i was going to say the bad old days but that's not fair in the early days before we had our shiny guis and even before we had do you remember the days when your your monitor could only display a grid of characters but you still had sort of user interfaces. You had stuff like WordPerfect where there was like a menu strip across the top. Right. And Except you could you use had key combinations crazy to bring up the key menu. Combos. <laughs> oh, crazy, mad, insane key combos. So uh, I'm sorry. To, to, I have to break in, but my mother called me one time and asked me how to make her, uh, her text documents double spaced using WordPerfect on DOS. Over the phone, I taught, and, and remember she's blind, okay? So over the phone, I had to teach her the set of keystrokes that I actually ended up making a song out of it. We, we put it to rhythm so she could remember it because it was like, uh, I don't know, it was F8, F8, comma, 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 F7, comma, F8, exclamation point or something like that. It was like, what? <laughs> so yeah, crazy. Yeah. So even, so even going back to those first attempts at a sort of a kind of a gooey-ish, the way that humans interacted with computers was through a command shell. It was a little blinky prompt. You typed in commands, you hit enter, the computer did what you told it to do, and then you enter the next command that the computer did what you told it to, and that was that. And that was the entire interface between humans and computers. And that interface actually was a massive step forward from the actual early days of computing when the computer only, the only way to interact with the computer was to talk the computer's raw language. So you actually had to use binary to give it instructions. Mm. And you would bash that binary into pieces of paper, <laughs> literally, and then feed those into the computer. And so you're actually giving it binary op code. So you were saying, 
here's the binary for the move command. I want you to take this bit of memory and stick it over there. And it was all in binary opcodes and ick. So the command shell is an attempt, right, even to this day, with many, many, many decades of computer science, computers are still absolutely bloody awful at either understanding or speaking human languages. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is that computers have zero intelligence. They, they are, they will blindly do what you tell them. But if you have no intelligence, the one thing you cannot deal with is ambiguity. If something could have two meanings and you have no intelligence, you cannot infer what is meant. English is full of these things where the same word has multiple meanings and us intelligent humans can figure out a context and work out what the word means. Red or red. Am I talking about a color or the act of having, you know, read something? Mm -hmm. We have no trouble with this. We do it all the time. Computers just cannot do it. So the only way for humans to talk to computers is to meet somewhere in the middle because computer or humans are pretty awful at thinking in binary and computers are very, very, very awful at dealing with human languages. So what you need is a sort of a coming together where you have something that looks Englishy enough that the computer, that the humans can deal with it. But it's not English. It's actually very rigidly structured. So it has a very rigid grammar and that grammar removes all ambiguity. So when you're giving commands in the terminal, they are 100% unambiguous, which is why the computer can act on them. Okay. And that, so th- what you're typing into a command shell is a highly structured language that humans and the computer have a chance of understanding. Right. Now, you might think, well, thank goodness we invented the GUI because all of this command line stuff sounds really bloody hard. And, it, yeah, that's kind of true because, I mean... To, when I'm talking to you in English, if I say something that's almost right, you have no trouble in understanding what I mean. Right, right. If I say something in shell script that's almost right, it is 100% as unintelligible to the computer as if I'd taken my head and mashed it into the keyboard. Right? <laughs> okay. So when you're talking to a computer, you must always be exactly correct and you must always be explicit in exactly what you mean. So the computer will do exactly what you tell it. If you tell it, delete all the files on this hard drive, it'll go, okay. You said to do that? I've done that. What do you mean that's not what you wanted? It's what you said. Right? Does it bug you when people say things like, the computer hates me, or things like that? It does mildly, because really what's going on is that you're actually giving the computer far too much credit. The computer is so stupid it couldn't possibly hate you. It's just, it just has no idea what you mean because you haven't been explicit. Okay. So with all this, you're probably saying, no, no wonder the GUI was invented. That sounds like absolute bloody hell. And a lot of the time, that's certainly true because it's much easier to point and click. And you know, I'm a Linux geek through and through. It's how I make my living. I don't have a command prompt as my only interface to a computer. I have this really beautiful, shiny GUI in which I have a little window in which I can still talk to the computer in a command shell. Well, that's kind of what I try to tell people about the the joy of using a Mac is that you have that choice where on some computer systems you don't really have the ability to go in and out. And there, there, are, I have at least found a few times, and I hope to learn more when I'm when we're done with this series. But that it really helps to be able to go to the command line. Yeah. So, sort of an analogy, right? We all say that a picture says a thousand words. So you would imagine that a GUI would be better than a command line interface, but 
the computer is drawing the GUI. You're not communicating to the computer through pictures. You're communicating to the GUI by clicking, which is about the equivalent of crude hand gestures. <laughs> so I would say that a click is worth about a thousandth of a word. <laughs> okay. Right? Which is why the, the command shell is so powerful. Because you can do with a command shell in one command what it would take you a thousand clicks to do in the terminal. Hmm. Okay. Is that so, because of the level of precision or just the, the options open to you or why? It's because you can be so much more explicit. You have this much bigger language to communicate in than simply here, here, or here, which is all you can do is you can click, click, click. Okay. So you can only click on things that have a predefined meaning, whereas when you have this massive effectively a language i mean it's a very simplified language compared to english but it is a language and so you can express a lot more complicated things in a language than you can by waving your hands and it's the same thing okay that makes sense so that's what we're doing when we're in the terminal we are talking a language that humans and computers can both understand to give instructions and that lets us give a lot more complicated and a lot more powerful instructions than simply clicking can and that's why it's helpful now, we all know that there is not a single GUI, right? There is Windows have a GUI, Linux has more GUIs than you can shake a stick at between your KDEs <laughs> and your GNOMEs and your, oh, there's a million on of them, on, on. all these put right. down ones, on and on and on. There is not one terminal, sorry, there's not one command shell. Okay. So when you open terminal app, what you're actually doing is opening a command shell called bash or the born again shell. And born again? if you wanted to. Interesting. It's it's a joke that will become obvious in a minute. Okay. Right. It's, uh, I, I, I'll what? save that one for just a moment. But it, okay. it's actually a nerd. It's a nerd joke. Um, <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> they happen. <laughs> uh, so DOS would be a command shell that Microsoft wrote, and probably the most venerable of the command shells in the Unix world is one simply called SH, which is short for shell. And it was written by a man called Stephen Bourne. And mm. so it's actually called the Bourne Shell. And uh, it was written in 1977. Okay. So we are talking the earliest days of Unix here. And between 1977 and now, there have been some developments in computers. So in 1989, there was an updated version of the Bourne Shell released, which was called the Bourne Again Shell. <laughs> Hence, Bash. Nice. So there are lots of different possible shells, and OS X ships with six of them. So if you go into System Preferences, and you go to the Users and Groups tab, and then you unclick the little padlock if it's locked, right-click on yourself, and go to Advanced Options, you'll see a drop-down called Login Shell. And it lists all six of the shells that OS X supports. Hang on, I don't see Advanced Options. I've clicked on myself, I've unlocked the lock. No, right-click on yourself. Ah, right-click on yourself. Ooh. They really hide the advanced options, and then they put a giant big warning in red. Because if you muck with these, you can break your account. But I'm not yep, telling you to really muck with careful. them. Be really careful. I'm just telling you to look. Okay. But I mean, I'm just telling you to look. And all that would happen if you change the shell is that when you open the terminal, instead of it being a bash shell, it could be a TCSH shell, a CSH shell, a ZSH shell, whatever. Or an SH. Or, so, yes. Or so what KF. difference does that make? What are the, I mean, isn't the language still the same? Nope, they're all different. So just like you can't take a DOS command and shove it into a Mac. Well, there are there are things that CSH can do that ZSH can't do. There are things that KSH can do that Bash can't do. There are things that SH can do that Bash can't do, and so on. So, so they're more like are they more like dialects? 
of of the Unix underpinnings? They're not. The, well, you could, okay. So you could say that they're all independent languages. But the thing is, every GUI you've ever used actually has a lot in common with every other GUI you've ever used. They all have this idea of icons that you click on and windows and all these kind of things. And all of these shells, although they're completely independent of each other, they all have the same concept that you enter commands and those commands will take arguments to manipulate how they work and they'll give you an output and you can manipulate that output and you can chain the commands together. So on the one sense, they're all different. But on the other sense, just like all of the GUIs are actually kind of the same, so are all the command shells. Okay. Now... This is the last time I'm going to mention the fact that there are lots of command shells, because from this moment forward, we are going to be talking bash. Okay. The reason we're going to be talking bash is because SH was king of the castle for a really long time, and now bash is king of the castle. Every Linux distro I've used in recent years, when I've opened it up and just did nothing from the defaults, just took it as it came, it was bash. OS X, if you don't mess with those advanced settings, when you open the terminal, you get Bash. If Bash is the new norm, and Bash is an updated version of SH. Now, strangely enough, there's an even more recent update version of SH called ZSH, and for some reason that hasn't taken off. So even though it's actually more modern and more powerful than Bash, it's not the default, and so I don't think that's what we should use. So okay. from now on, we're doing Bash. And most people think that bash and the terminal are interchangeable terms because they think that the terminal in that app only takes bash commands because that's what you get by default. Okay. But in reality, it's actually a choice. So you might think, but you're, what does a shell do? I enter a command, I hit enter, and surely it's the operating system that provides those commands. So the shell doesn't matter. It doesn't do anything. It's the commands that do all the work, right? One would think. One would think, but one would actually be surprised that the shell provides you an awful lot of power. You're probably used to from your DOS days, or definitely on, the, on here, something like chmod space 755 star dot php, or del star dot text, or cp star dot jpeg space some folder name. You're used to this concept of star meaning any. Okay. I thought you were thinking I understood any of those other commands. Right. No, no. But you know, you use this notion of some command and then all files that look like this by using the star to, to mean anything. Yes. The yes. wildcard character. Like rm space that, star. Don't do that. <laughs> A friend of mine did once. Yeah, I don't remember. I, I, I've done that by accident. By if, you're, if you're writing scripts, be very careful how you do things. I'll tell you that story some other time, but okay. I ruined the Mac that. Um. Right, that star, the program that you're giving that star to never sees that star. It's not okay. that the chmod command gets the star and then has to interpret it. The shell does that. So when you enter a star, the shell goes and looks for all matching files to that pattern and then converts your star.php into an actual list of all of the PHP files. And then when it's compiled that list, then it passes it on to the program. Say that one more time. Okay, so you, you're at the terminal. You're working on your website. You want to change the permissions so that the web server can see your files. The command right. is one that every web developer knows. chmod space 755 space star.php. Okay. The chmod command gets the argument 755, and you might think that it then gets handed star.php and that the chmod command has to figure out what to do with that. Okay. It never sees star.php. The shell 
interprets the star as a special character. The shell then knows, ooh, I have some work to do. The shell goes off and looks at your file system, finds all of the files that match the pattern. So in this case, anything ending in PHP. The shell assembles all the files it finds into a list, and then that list assembled by the shell is what's given to the chmod command. So the chmod command actually gets 755 as the first argument, and then a whole list of files as all the other arguments. And then the chmod command just does the 755 thing on all those files. And so the shell is doing all that work. It's called wildcard substitution. So that sort of shows the just a quick example of the power of the shell itself. Exactly. The work and that that's doing. Okay. Substituting the star character is one of those things that every shell on the planet does. So it's one of those things like every GUI has icons. Every shell I've ever used in my life does wildcard substitution. But that's just one of the things a shell does. Uh, so shells also allow you to define variables. And that means that if you're going to be doing 20 commands on, say, the same file, you could type that file name 20 times. But that sounds like effort to me. I'm I'm not a big fan of that. So you could define a variable to say, my file equals this big long file name that you might just drag and drop in if you're on OS X instead of ever typing it at all. And from then on, you can just call commands on my file and the shell will say, oh, my file, yeah, that's a variable. So I'm going to actually stick in here the real big icky value and pass that onto the application. Okay. So that's another type of substitution, your variable substitution. Shells actually are, are actually programming environments. A shell can understand looping constructs. A shell can understand conditional statements. Shells can actually execute files. So if you take a bunch of shell commands and stick them into a file, a shell can then execute that file. And that's what's called a shell script. You've probably heard the term shell scripts. They're just a list of shell commands that a shell can then run. Oh, okay. Okay. And so does, is it a correct statement to say a shell then has libraries? It's a shell, well, I'm sure you call it libraries. A shell has a whole bunch of functionality that it makes available to you. It's like we saying it, it knows how to multiply. It knows how to contr- yeah. follow this command. It knows what an if statement is. It knows what a while loop is. It knows okay. what a variable declaration is. It knows what the star character is and what it should do with it. So it knows all of these things. It has all of these functionalities. And some of them are very, very generic. Another thing that every shell that's worth its salt does is it, I call it plumbing, right? And you'll understand why I call it plumbing probably Two episodes from now. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, this is called episode one of N. Yeah, because I have no idea how long this will go. If okay. everyone thinks it's rubbish, it'll be one of one. <laughs> <laughs> if it goes well, it could be one of a hundred. Who knows? So make comments on the blog over at podfeet.com. <laughs> so another thing that it does is what I call plumbing. And what you can actually do is you take the output of one command and use it as the input to another command. Or you take the content of a file and use it as the input, input to a command. Or you take the output of a command and use it as the input to a file. So you basically pipe information through commands and into files and out of files and all shells that are that are any good will allow you to do that and so i call that plumbing and that's one of the standard features shells have but then some shells do things other shells don't and as far as i'm concerned if bash did nothing else but this one thing that it has over sh i wouldn't care tab complete that's a feature (laughs) yay that's actually linux does that too right well, no, it's actually Bash doing that. So, oh, okay, it's Bash and Linux. on Linux is Bash. It's a Bash feature. Oh, okay. Now, it's a Bash feature that's since been copied by other shells, but that's a Bash feature. So, if you actually, have I interrupted Linux, you, so I, I should have you explain what tab complete means. Yeah. So, if you start typing something, and there's actually no ambiguity as to what the rest of the word is going to be, if you just hit tab, Bash will fill it in for you because it says so. Like you're in if a you're... folder. 
you're, you're looking for like your desktop and you type you type cd for change directory space mm-hmm. capital d there's only one thing in your home directory that starts with a capital d it'll write in desktop no because there's documents and downloads actually. oh okay de then D-E. <laughs> okay so you type de tab and at that capital point no ambiguity. yeah capital and then bash will just fill it in for you and so if you have really big, long file names that start with a date or something, you just you know, type the date and then hit tab, and then all the big, long glop will just automatically fill in for you. So tab completion, like, I think like cd space slash user slash l tab. I don't think slash user slash local. I think slash user slash l tab. And any time I end up in a shell without tab complete, I swear like a trooper. <laughs> <laughs> because it's completely built in. It's just, you don't type these things out. You just hit tab and bash will fill it in for you. But that's a feature of bash. So that's actually another thing that your shell gives you. So I'm going to end today with just a little, but just mentioning, but this is, uh, this is the why and the big picture, because I don't believe in getting stuck in and not understanding where you're going. So the last thing I just want to mention is a, a very important part of the Unix philosophy. So when they were building Unix and Linux, the aim wasn't to provide big clunky commands that do 20 squillion things. The aim was to provide a lot of really simple commands that do one thing, but do it well. And then to use a powerful shell to chain those commands together to achieve powerful ends. Hmm. So think of it like Lego. Each, term, each command that you would enter in from the terminal is actually a very simple thing. But using the magic plumbing in the terminal, you can take those individual Lego blocks and create really cool things. But each individual block is still actually something quite simple. And that's the Unix philosophy. And so what we're going to do is, for the first couple of episodes, explain how you stick the blocks together. And then we're going to talk about all the cool blocks at your disposal. So does that mean we're still going to be uh, keeping the terminal closed in next, the next episode? Or do we get to start actually touching it soon? No, no, next time we'll open the terminal. Because uh, okay. I think from now on we'll be explaining every point with an example. Oh goody. Okay, I like that. <laughs> this uh, this reminds me a little stick. bit reminds me a little bit of when I uh learned to I told my parents I wanted horseback riding lessons and the first uh lesson we sat on horses inside a barn and we posted. That's where you go up and down using your knees. We didn't get to oh, walk. I know, but it was like it was the worst day. It was like an hour, and of course, you couldn't walk the next day either. But it was just—it was so frustrating. I, of course, it was an important foundation, but ah, oh, I want to run. I wanted to gallop on the first day. So, so really, today I just wanted to to explain the whys and the what we're getting into here. So, ultimately, my goal here is that you you be able to use the power of the terminal and the power of OS X together to automate as many as possible of those stupid, repetitive, brain-dead tasks that you waste your time on, mm-hmm. and then freeing you up to actually do cool stuff in your computer. Oh, I like it. This sounds like fun. I'm looking forward to it. I want the next lesson now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I haven't written it yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess in uh, two weeks we'll pick up where we left off here. That's it. Now, I, I don't think we're going to be doing this every single time I'm on because I'm bound to bump into other cool stuff. That means, oh, I must talk to Alison about that. So yeah. on average, we're probably talking monthly. But I think next time, just to really get stuck in, I think next time we will do part two. Okay, good. All yeah, right. Part two of N. <laughs> All right. Let, uh, I, I look forward to that part. Okay. Well, until then, happy computing. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Taming the Terminal. Remember that all of the information you've been hearing is available as text tutorials at bartb.ie slash ttt. If you'd like to contact us, you can write to allison at podfeet.com or podcasting at bartificer.net.